Hey, before we kick off the episode, I'd like to let you know that nothing Sam and I say during our series on investing should be seen as investment advice. Each person has a different financial situation, and what makes sense for Sam or me might not, and probably will not, make sense for you. We are not financial advisors, and you should do your own research before making any investment. Know that all investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, and always remember that if it sounds too good to be true, it is probably not true. Please enjoy the rest of the show. This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico, and as usual, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Sam. Sam Harris, the cooler of the of yeah, all the Sam Harris's. Definitely the best, and best hair. Already <laughs> Sam Harris, that's for sure. That, that's for sure. <laughs> New haircut. And today we are discussing or talking about DeFi or decentralized finance. It's a subject that I personally find pretty interesting. It's pretty close to what I do on a daily basis, and I think it's going to have a major impact on how we invest. So it fits within this season on investing. Additionally, as with NFTs, the concept is so new. I think maybe three years ago or maybe four years ago, no one ever heard of the words decentralized finance. So it's very new. And so no really, no books have been written on it or at least not any good books or at least not any Lindy books. So today we're going bookless. We're not really reviewing a book. We're just discussing DeFi, trying to give like a brief explanation and how it works. You can do with it from an investment point of view and how we see it evolve into the future. Because Sam and I are tech nerds and this stuff interests us. And if we try to explain it, we also, I guess, strengthen our ability yeah, yeah. No, to what understand we're talking it. About yeah. By the end of it. So, how's it going, Sam? It's good. I <laughs> I feel like judging Nico runs a different podcast, which is about gaming and um seems to always have cryptocurrency within it. I feel like we've somehow <laughs> got crypto a lot into this season and that, that we might find excuses to bring it somehow into other seasons in the future. Of like, a, so mm-hmm. there's one about health of the body, but also there's this great new like cryptocurrency crypto. <laughs> that allows you to keep your data on the blockchain and stuff. And it's going to somehow appear in every single like season from now on. Yeah. Who knows? We'll find out. I'm going to be honest. Like I find it very hard these days not to talk about crypto with everything I'm discussing. Yeah. Especially when when it's about money. I think this DeFi thing is so relevant because in the end, we're talking about finance and investment is a subcategory of finance. And so I think this is very relevant. So Mm. let's dive in, shall we? Sure. I'm excited. Yeah. I have written down a few notes and then we can go from there. So basically, let's take a step back and talk about what finance is. Right. Nice. So what is finance? At a high level, finance aims to effectively move resources from savers and investors who are entities with capital to entities that need capital for productive purposes. So that is at a very high level, the goal of finance. So you have on one hand, a company, let's say, that needs money. And on the other hand, you have people with money or companies with money and that want to you know see their money their capital being used for productive purposes to generate value you know actually like this whole season should not be called investing it should be called value and everything around that anyway mm. um the why are people investing their money they're giving money to 
other people or entities or companies that will use that money in a productive fashion, which will use that capital to create value. And as an investor or as a creditor, if you give a loan to a company, you will receive part of the value that's being created with your money. And the entrepreneurs, so the people that are actually creating the value, they keep a little bit of it as well. That's basically at a very high level what finance is. And so finance can be broadly devised in three broad categories. So you have personal finance. So that's finance for you, the listener. If you have a bank and like a bank card, you take part in personal finance. Your bank provides you banking services, payment services, savings services, maybe even brokerage services. You also have corporate finance and then public finance. Corporate finance is for companies specifically that need money for a loan to build a new plant, something like that. And then there's public finance, which mainly talks about public companies, stock markets, etc. So you basically have finance and the categories in which it operates, so personal, corporate, and public. And then it has a few things that it does. So financial industry consists of banking services. So banking services is like checking and savings accounts. It is when you're an individual loans and mortgage mortgages. So if you buy a house, you don't have enough money to pay for the whole house up front. You take a mortgage, the bank loans you a bit of money and takes a mortgage on a house, which means that your house is collateral for the loan that you take. And if you, for some reason, cannot pay back the loan, then the bank that loans you the money actually reserves the right to sell the house and use the proceeds from that sale to get the money back that they actually gave you. And there's also some investment services. So lots of banks provide investment services. So you have a bank account and at a certain point, they'll call you and they say, you you know, you have 20,000 euros on your bank account. Wouldn't it be wise to start thinking about investing, you know, for your future, for your retirement? So these are also services that banking gives. Then there's investment services. This is more broadly, but for example, ETFs and mutual funds are also like a service that the whole finance sector provides. You have brokerages. Brokerages are companies or services that actually hold shares. So Sam and I or you, you cannot hold a share yourself. You have to have an account with the brokerage firm who's going to do that for you. Uh, You have robo-advisors that basically analyze everything you have and give you advice. And then there's investment managers like hedge funds, private equity investors, and VC investors. And I am a VC investor. So actually, I'm actually a part of the finance industry. Terrible, terrible thing. And then there's also insurance services, which brings us too far away from the topic that we're discussing. But that is the traditional financial world. You have banking services, investment services, and it's all about bringing money from people or groups that don't need it, but to want to have it you know, allocated in an efficient way and you bring it to people that actually do need it and want it and are able to create extra value by deploying it. Did that all make sense, Sam? That did all make sense and was... Are you like making notes or asking, like writing down questions you want to ask? Or uh, I've got a bunch of questions I want to ask and I'm kind of making notes on what overview is to see if there's any like gaps in further things to then sort of yeah make things make sense as we go along. But um, yeah, it's... I love this as an introduction to then the next question around what is DeFi and decentralized yeah. finance, and you basically framed yourself perfectly for this answer. So I'm going <laughs> to let you go and answer that if you want to. Well, yeah. So very simply, decentralized finance takes the finance that we just discussed and decentralizes it. So it makes it happen on the blockchain. So in Decentralized finance, the blockchain effectively replaces your bank, it replaces your investment manager, it replaces your broker, it replaces your hedge fund, your PE or VC firm, basically cuts out the middleman, right? For example, let's say Sam has 100,000 euros, he has his standing on a bank account, and I want to buy a new house, 
and I need to buy my new house. I have 100,000 euros myself. I need an extra 100,000 euros to buy it because it's, the cost is 200,000 euros. What the bank is going to do, it's more complicated than that, but broadly speaking, it's just, just going to take Sam's money and it's going to give it to me. And he's going to pay Sam, let's say, 0.5%, which is probably more than actually what's, what's being paid right now, at least mm. in Europe. And it's going to charge me 1.2%. And so the bank is going to net itself a nice 1%, so a nice 1,000 euros per year for its services. And the reason for that is that until now, there was no way for us to efficiently do this between us. So Sam and me to find each other, there was no way to like fix collateral. Like if I took a loan from Sam, but I wasn't paying back, Sam had no recourse. He couldn't like sell my house that I used his money to buy, etc. So it was all very complex. But now with the advent of the blockchain that is fixed. And so decentralized finance is a whole movement of replacing the traditional financial services by a decentralized alternative where it all happens on the blockchain. And so I'll immediately give a few examples. So one of the things is that at least I can only speak from Belgium but because that's what I know. But if you have a checkings account with a bank in Belgium, if that bank goes bankrupt, the government only insures, I think like between 100 and 200K. So which means if you have a bank account with let's say 500K on it, and the bank goes bankrupt, you lose the majority of that money. And so there is this third-party risk of a company. Now, there's not a very big chance that banks go bankrupt, but then again, if you look at what happened in 2008 in the US with Bear Stearns and these other banks and Lehman Brothers, it's not that unthinkable. And so anyway, so checkings accounts, savings accounts, that's stuff that you do with a bank, but you can also just have a wallet address on the blockchain where you have your assets, your cryptocurrencies in this case. And there's no one who can go bankrupt and take this away from you. The worst things that can happen, the only thing that could happen is the blockchain not working or continuing anymore. And the chance of that happening is way smaller than the chance of any single bank going bankrupt. Are you still following, Sam? Yeah. On one hand, one of the traditional services of the finance industry is you having money at a checking or savings account with a bank, but you can actually also do that on the blockchain. And at that moment, your assets are on the blockchain. You were the one holding it and you're the one, yeah, the private public keys and all that stuff. That's, I think, things that we discussed in our Bitcoin episode. Yeah. So you should definitely listen to that one. But anyway, again, that's one thing that is replaced by DeFi. Another example could be loans. So right now it's possible if you own, let's say, a Bitcoin, you can collateralize or use your Bitcoin as a collateral to take out a loan. So let's say you were smart and you made, you bought some Bitcoin, let's say five years ago, and you now have, let's say 10 Bitcoin. One Bitcoin is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to round this up, 50,000 euros. So you have 500,000 euros worth of Bitcoin. You can actually use that as a collateral to take a loan in euros to buy a house and pay it back. And if you are not paying it back, then your Bitcoin will actually be sold and the one, the people that loaned you your money will actually get their money back that way. Hmm. Does that still make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It all makes sense that you can have decentralized finance and have these things on blockchains. But it's very easy to say, okay, here's my verified Bitcoin. I want to have a loan against this. How mm-hmm. can I do that with a house? Because my house isn't on a blockchain. And Correct. when could that be possible? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um. The honest answer is I, I don't know. I think it will happen at some points. I just don't know when and how exactly is going to happen. So right now, if you buy a house, you go to a notary and the notary actually is the one that facilitates the transaction from the seller to the buyer, right? And there's basically in each country, there's like a registry of all houses and pieces of land. 
And the moment you actually sell, you have like this whole like expensive process and the notary at that point changes in that national registry the ownership of that plot of land or that house and changes it to you as the buyer. I think that the job of a notary is going to change in the future with crypto and that national database that keeps track of the ownership of all houses and plots of land I think is going to go decentralized and become on the blockchain and mm. I think at that point the moment that the tracking of who owns what in the real world becomes decentralized I think there we'll see those being used as collateral so you'll own the house but if you don't pay back the loan then the plot of land is going to be sold and so at that point the ownership on the blockchain is going to change hands and that would mean that you won't own that piece of land or that property anymore yeah definitely i think that's kind of the thing that makes me realize how early we still are in blockchain and but also the potential of it to kind of change so much of the future and that when you look at things like the internet protocol and stuff like that as in when it first got launched it wasn't used for that much useful stuff and then like even the inventors of it were like well maybe you could like share recipes on websites or something and that would be great and there wasn't like you couldn't really picture exactly how things would work mm. but it did become like the layer for like just information exchange and everything and then yeah just once everything is recorded and all your like your medical data and like the data of everything that exists is there and then that's the place where it then kind of gets exchanged and it's just easier you cut out lots of middlemen everything's on smart mm -hmm. contracts it sort of just verifies stuff very easily it's super awesome but like it's going to take a lot of time for those different services to fully get on board and to happen and it is like a slow process but it will happen and mm -hmm. that's why like for now <laughs> investing in the potential things like ethereum or like Solana that could be like the main places for those smart contracts being created is like a really sensible thing i feel as well as mm -hmm. i guess bitcoin as well in that it's just yeah. a general store of value but um yeah i like that explanation thanks to add a bit onto your points i think what we'll see is everything so basically what the crypto did for the internet is it added a layer of value to the internet so as you said the internet is like a way to exchange information yeah but it lacked a way to natively exchange value and so that got added by blockchain technology and by the invention of Bitcoin and everything that's being built on top of that since its invention. And so what I think we'll see is that everything on the internet is going to be on DeFi, which means that, you know, how, how do I explain it? So basically the internet is going to move onto DeFi first and only then will we see physical things actually start moving onto DeFi. Yeah. So the ownership of domain names and what we see now, like non-fungible tokens, all that stuff, it's going to be fully built on top of decentralized finance, right? You're going to be able to take out a loan against your NFTs. You're going to be able to fractionalize your NFTs. You're going to, there's going to be marketplaces where you can buy and sell everything. And I mean, the possibilities are almost endless. That's all going to happen in the virtual world first. And then the physical world is going to be connected with this DeFi world step-by-step step slowly. But, I mean, there's little doubt in my mind that it's a matter of time. Yeah, so definitely. Matter of Sadly, I can't yet get my mortgage in DeFi. <laughs> I was a little yeah. bit distracted when you went into that and be like, why, why can't I get my tablet? Because <laughs> I am looking <laughs> to get a mortgage. Oh, well. Yeah, I mean, I think you own some Bitcoin, right? Yes. So, theoretically, you could exactly take a loan on that mm. um, if you want to. But again, then we're talking about leverage, which is not the subject. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, and then there's the whole, like, if you 
turn your Bitcoin into fiat money, you then have to start paying taxes. So if I was to use that money for things outside of blockchain, I would then have issues if I was taking a loan it- in Bitcoin. Because I thought I might be wrong here. So I heard that super rich. So let's yeah. say you're a founder of a unicorn, right? Okay. You're start, starting from nothing. You own, let's say, 10% in a company that's valued at 1 billion. Mm-hmm. So the shares that you own are worth 100 million. Yeah. But they're not liquid, right? You can't really sell them. And if you sell them as a CEO or as a founder, you might get in trouble. And so what founders do is actually they basically take out a loan with their shares as a collateral. And because those are a loan, you're actually not paying taxes. Mm. I thought that this was the way that billionaires actually avoided paying taxes. I think you don't need to pay taxes, yes. When you do this, you just need to bother to actually file everything a bit more, which I'm currently (laughs) avoiding. (laughs) Which which is horrible. With this stuff, but yes, actually it's fine. I just have to fill in a bunch of more forms, which is is almost as bad as paying my taxes, although it's actually in no way as bad, but it it just feels the same. (laughs) So So true. Okay. That is actually like, problem is that, you know, I explained these brokerages, right? Brokerages are companies that actually keep track of your holdings. So you make an account with a brokerage firm and then you transfer money to that account and then you can start buying shares in companies. And if you want to own like shares in small companies in Turkey, for example, you would have to make a Turkish brokerage account, which is you know, really shitty. You personally have to keep track of all that, all the paperwork involved. You have to show all of your holdings in foreign, or at least in Belgium, at least. You have to show in that in your, you know, tax documentation, all that stuff. And all of that is automated on the blockchain. It's so much easier, you know? (laughs) You don't need to, the blockchain keeps track of everything. The blockchain keeps track of everything you own. I'm looking forward to a world where I don't have to bother about all that. I just do what I want. And at the end of the year, I just get a tax receipt. My country just knows exactly what I've been doing what mm. bad investments I've been making in the crypto space. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> How I've lost all my money and why I'm owed some tax back exactly. each year. Exactly. Of, <laughs> it would certainly help. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So yeah, yeah, DeFi. Sorry, but I interrupted you. You were, uh, were going to ask another question or make another comment. Well, my next question is, why is it important? I think we've maybe slightly answered that, but... Um... Yeah, a super good question. So what we just discussed is one one uh, example right yeah, it is yeah. the fact that it's simplified so basically it's it's very like simplified and in a way it's centralized it's decentralized but it's all in one space right mm. it's only one place there's no like 10 different parties 10 different counterparties so it's simplified second advantage is also the counterparty risk right yeah. if you as, as i said if you have money with a bank and it goes bankrupt if you have stocks with a broker and it goes bankrupt like what happens to those shares you know, are you yeah. sure you're going to get all of them back? Who knows? They might be defrauding you. You don't know. So that's that. Another one is, let's say our example where we did earlier, where I needed money to buy a house, you had some extra cash and the bank pocketing 1% per year, right? 1,000 euros per year. In DeFi, it's actually a protocol that's managing what's happening in between. And that is so much more efficient that it can happen at negligible, there's a hard word, fees, which means that it's not 1%, but it's like 0.001%. Yeah which is super useful and super cool. And it's going to be, yeah, making things more efficient and making bankers less rich, which all non-bankers like and want. Mm, Definitely. And, well, other things like once everything's sort of on the blockchain, so when you die, it's a chaotic situation for everyone else around, like, actually dealing with your will and sort of informing everyone that you've died and making all these things kind of happen and taxes stuff it can take like years before you actually sort of get to the bottom of everything and when you have everything actually 
verified in the right places and you know what to do with it, it's pretty fast. And like, mm. there's some cool services now coming online that are kind of helping you automate some of those things. I know a friend that's running one of those. Like, but um, once you have everything in blockchain and DeFi, it sort of radically gets better, which is why you can see in the same way when web first came along, people being like, okay, if you can build a website like your shirt company or something you might actually just be able to sell a shitload more shirts to anyone that can't be bothered to get to the store and things and just so many mm -hmm. companies became huge because they were could leverage the internet there's going to be a shift of power to anyone that can work out how to like do their thing on the blockchain and make it decentralized and it's going to be awesome but there's also going to be lots of people that suddenly start something and say hey it's on the blockchain and just raise a ton of money for something they haven't actually worked out how to do and isn't yet ready because it's too early or something and there's going to be shitloads of companies dying and stuff and it we're definitely in the very early phase of bubblish territory sometime mm -hmm. in the next few years and that's going to be yeah. a bit of a chaotic fall and then useful stuff will will carry on happening and slowly it's going to be transitioned over the next 20 years where everything goes blockchain and life is going to be awesome yeah well i don't know about the last part but um i do believe that we're still very early i mean mm. what happens in the DeFi world now is a lot of experimentation which is one of the key things to take away from listening to this podcast and considering to invest in DeFi. it is know that all of this stuff is still so new that there's going to be a lot of money lost and a lot of rug pulls, as they call it, and a lot yeah. of scams. It is still all super unregulated, which is something I, I still haven't wrapped my head around. Like, how are we going to solve that stuff? How are we going to solve the fact that anyone can tokenize anything? And how are we going to protect? You know, because right now in the US, for example, you have to be an accredited investor in order to invest in younger companies, in startups. What are we going to do? Because... In DeFi, that's not the case anymore, right? I can buy tokens from any startup that has issued tokens anywhere over the world and these people might be anonymous mm. so it's all very 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 risky um yeah yeah and then betting as well as in like currently use betting platforms that will like always set the rates so that they win but i can just bet against anyone who's willing to take on my bet if i think someone's gonna score at half time kind of thing and so there's lots of stuff that can kind of be changed based on this, yeah. what you want to do with, without the middleman and such which is going to be cool but mm -hmm then there's regulations that do come with those things. It's like if you're in part of a country, there's different rules and stuff. But then if you're on a blockchain, you can kind of avoid some of this stuff and changes things, which is not yet known what's going to happen. But certainly if you look at places like Nigeria and China, they've been very harsh on what they allow their citizens to do. And or and same as well with like Russia, where they don't let certain things on the internet be seen. And stuff like what how are they gonna regulate DeFi and how are other countries gonna sort of be regulating these things is interesting mm -hmm. and and if you get like very political about it, it could be part of some of the other things around like what is the value of a country in terms of certainly a lot of the European ones are suffering from people trying to get visas in other countries where they can just get like better benefits on how they use their their cryptocurrency or if they run a business they can get taxed less and if people who are the richest and making who would be making most of the tax but actually are leaving to go to better places as a country's gonna have to change the way they do things and there is just like a way for people seeking a better place to technically officially live which if cryptocurrencies can do that like maybe there's going to be like a digital world you can officially reside in that's like a new country who knows anything could happen mm -hmm. maybe that's completely yeah. impossible to happen but 
maybe I should start with this. <laughs> I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. And there's a lot of people who are also thinking about that a lot, where you start this city in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And basically, people have to hold your city tokens mm. to actually be allowed to build or even like live in a house and there's like this whole internal economy and everything is on the blockchain and you can use that to vote for new proposals like do we want to build a swimming pool or a playground yeah, yeah. and stuff like that honestly like if it if makes it a lot easier started, to happen because there's a lot of these like idealized places to go and live that people sort of talk about maybe starting like communities and things but it's a bit hard to like kick it off without some kind of regulatory stuff around it but like DeFi mm. does actually make it a bit easier for you. Like, actually, we can all vote on making this happen and we can all hold some tokens that initially had no value. But because we have them and other people want them, they now have value and you can kind of maybe do it. So it's exciting. Yeah. Tell have me. you looked much into El Salvador? Because that's the first country to adopt Bitcoin, but they've announced building a crypto city, which is kind of a bit like what you were just talking about around uh, you have to hold tokens and voting mm. on stuff, which sounds super awesome and nuts. And I don't know that much more other than that, that I read that there was an announcement of it happening and <laughs> who knows when or what or how. But I thought maybe because if you, you like the stuff, you you looked into it more already. <laughs> I think El Salvador is a very interesting experiment. I mean, it's happened like six months ago or something. Mm. So it's probably going to take some more time to... I don't know, to see if it's successful, yes or no, or what we can learn from it. Yeah. That, yeah. And also so because Bitcoin is still very volatile at the moment, like let's say we have a big crash, no one's going to be very happy in El Salvador. Whereas if it goes up to like 100K in this year, like they'll be very happy because all of their money's doubled. So that's also yeah. affecting it a bit more. Whereas in five years' time, let's say it's a bit more stable, maybe, <laughs> then. Um, I'd like to, um, just one, one small point, to come back to our discussion around, you mm -hmm. know, regulation and how we see this. And I feel like at some point in the future, there's going to be two camps. One camp is going to be libertarian and it's going to say, like, let everyone do what they want and put the responsibility with the individual. Because right now, so I work for a VC firm. And in this VC firm, we manage money of some companies and high net worth individuals. And so basically the minimum investment is like multiple hundreds of thousands of euros or dollars, which means that almost like a fraction of yeah, the population yeah. of the earth can actually invest in what we do. And the average return of VC funds, if I'm not mistaken, is slightly above the average return of the market. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically the best investing asset class you can invest in on average. Yeah. But again, this is skewed because it only exists for like maybe a little bit more than 20 years. Yeah. And we've had, you know, Facebooks and Ubers and, and Amazons and all these things. So it's not 100% correctly represented. But anyway, the thing is that it's doing pretty well. And the problem is that 99% of people in the world do not have access to this stuff. Yeah. Which is a major problem. And I think that is what the libertarians, you know, on the side of the debate that I uh, alluded to earlier, they're going to say like, look, with DeFi, this barrier falls away. So everyone can invest in whatever mm -hmm. they want. The other side of the, the spectrum is going to say like, yo, no, we want this to be regulated because there's going to be a shit ton of scams and there's going to be people losing money because there's going to be bad actors and, you know, startup investing is super risky. And so we want to prohibit people from doing this because otherwise they're going to lose money. And so I think there's going to be this main discussion between two camps. One is saying, like, let the people give them free choice, let them do what they want. And the other is being like, no, this is dangerous. We got to protect people from making stupid decisions. Yeah. 
So in terms of you're saying like, okay, that there'll be regulations that stop you from investing in things. Uh-huh. But in the same way, I can make a, a vouchers to like my gig or something and say that like it's worth this much and people could give me money for them and then they could still exchange them for more value even without them being on a blockchain. But I could just create a new thing on the internet and say it's worth something and give it to different people. And like, how could a regulation ever stop me from doing that? So the two camps I just talked about, I fall strongly into the former camp. I'm all for personal liberty. So I think there's probably ways in which things can get regulated and probably there's going to be ways around it, but I think regulations can make it so hard. You're going to have to jump through so much, so many hoops Mm. that people are just not going to bother. In general, I think if you really, really want Bitcoin, I think there's nothing what a country can do to stop you from getting it. Like you can just find someone on this like forum and just meet him in the street, give him some cash and he sends Bitcoin to your address. And that's like literally nothing uh, a country can do to stop that. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, there's the whole perception around Bitcoin of it being like a shady uh, place in cryptocurrencies because of they did get a bit of fame around with the whole Silk Road and being used for that. But actually it's mm-hmm. kind of, even back then, I think it was only one in five transactions, which is still a lot, <laughs> were being used for sort of <laughs> things that weren't great. Yeah. But um, people forget that you can see every single transaction that takes place and it's all public and actually is a less shady way of doing things than mm-hmm. other options and is actually kind of a stupid way to do things if you're trying to like hide yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, this brings us back to more about Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. but we just whilst we're talking about regulations and things and it's like yeah. on the subject of just general decentralized finance and like a banking layer that's digital. I actually agree. I think it makes sense, more sense because right now if you invest in a public company, there's auditors. Yeah. And so auditors are companies that actually check the books of the company that you're investing in. And so you're actually trusting them. And so if you, for example, look at what happened to Enron. Enron was like a huge scandal in the beginning of this century. And they were basically lying about their revenues. And they were lying about how much money they had on their bank accounts. And their auditors were doing a shitty job. And so people were trusting the auditors. But the auditors were doing a bad job. And so that's why people lost a lot of money. And this is all stuff that cannot happen when you have this public ledger where everything gets tracked, where you can literally see the money flowing into each company and the amount of money that they still hold on their bank account, or in this case, in their wallets. And so I think that it solves a lot of inefficiencies and issues uh, in the existing financial system. Mm, for sure. Cool. Okay, so... Should, should, should we talk about like how you can invest in DeFi or how you yeah, can make money so that's in the exactly world? Yeah, so that's exactly what I was going to do was like, I was saying I had two other questions in general, I think we've kind of covered which are what are the benefits and what are the problems. And then I was going to say, so far what we've spoken about has been a bit more timeless around DeFi in general and like the future of it and just like the whole concept. And I'd say a bit more of the moment of how does it work right now and how can I get involved in it would be like the second part that I'd want to discuss of like, okay, mm. so I do want to get a loan. Where can I do this? Which cryptocurrency should I use? What are transaction fees? How do I avoid them? All that kind of stuff that is relevant won't be relevant forever in terms of what we say but is useful mm-hmm. i don't know if you want to go straight into that or if there's any other benefits or problems you want to quickly shout out because i no, think i think i think it's yeah i think we've covered the most important ones and i think the biggest problem and this relates to what we're going to say now is what can you do with it right yeah. now it is that <laughs> it's unregulated and it's still all a massive experiment i mean we've seen 
protocols with millions of dollars staked or locked in them being hacked by malicious actors who extracted all of the money and so people have lost a shit ton of money i mean people have made more money in crypto than they lost but there's still people who lost a lot of money so yeah do your research and don't put money that you can't lose yeah yeah and don't sort right of now. find the first thing and quickly put money to it. i would definitely spend a bit of time of getting the lay of the land and yeah exactly things um exactly there's some good like intro to DeFi courses uh nat Eliason runs a good one there's plenty of good videos on youtube but i would watch more than just one and um, because i'll mm-hmm. often be like okay well how to use this specific website to invest and if you mm-hmm. throw all your money at that one like you might want to just to sort of check that there's different options and maybe join a community mm-hmm. on reddit or something to see what people are saying before yeah. you so one youtuber uh anyway you were saying <laughs> yeah so broadly speaking how do you get started in DeFi? right that's probably like for the non-crypto native people listening to this that's a big question right like okay i want to get started i believe i have like let's say i have 100 euros that i want to throw at this and let's give it a try so how do you do this first of all you're going to have to decide what platform are you going to do DeFi on the biggest one right now is ethereum so ethereum is the first blockchain that has so-called smart contracts it's like a computer on the blockchain almost and it can do some incredible things and so it allows for smart contracts and smart contracts it's like computer code on the blockchain and it is basically logic that you can put on the blockchain and these smart contracts allow to do some cool things and so ethereum would be what i recommend to go to if you're working with quite a significant amount of money because the problem is a word a very very annoying word called gas fees so every transaction that you do on any kind of blockchain network is going to cost a fee. A gas fee is usually called. And on Ethereum, these gas fees can become very significant. So depending on what kind of operation you want to do on the blockchain, you can pay up to $200 per transaction. So which means that, yeah, okay, it's I have... ridiculous at the moment. Yeah, so it's it's really annoying. Yeah, and I've, so there are some I read some a blog from blo- like three years ago around, um, it was Ada versus, which is a different... Um, blockchain like a smart chain like ethereum uh-huh. versus ethereum and it's about well ethereum it's a bit expensive right now you'll pay like four to ten dollars transaction fees it's not very sustainable and now it's like two hundred dollars and you're like yeah oh my god how are people still using this why is this the most popular yeah. one it's insane yeah. i bought like a, a domain name for my wallet address so i have like samjam.eth which you can't take money from nice. but if you ever want to send me money samjam.eth i'll get it <laughs> but you will currently pay a lot of transaction fees but it, it was like 20 yeah. quid for five years for this domain and then it was like another 100 quid in the, in the processing fee and it was like yeah. well i want this domain because i'm early and i want to have this domain <laughs> and then it's memorable yeah but yeah it's crazy it's pretty silly. no it's um so true but anyway so let's say that you don't care about the gas fees let's abstract away because there are other blockchains uh, but those are still fighting it out if you're interested in this and you don't have a lot of budget to throw at it maybe have a look at solana solana is a relatively fast blockchain it's not perfect but i think it, it has a lot of potential and it's, it's very very cheap yeah. you'll pay uh like cents for a transaction or even There's less a than solana podcast if you like listening to podcasts which you must do because you're listening to this which um is now available on reason uh Boom. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot what it's called. I've literally got it in a different tab. That's okay. On the subject of Meanwhile, I'll, I'll, I'll start explaining how it's to start with called DeFi. the Solana podcast. Okay, that was easy. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, but let's assume that you've decided, okay, I'm going to use Ethereum for now. And in the end, like everything I say about Ethereum also works for other blockchains. So basically what you're going to do first is, let's say you don't have any crypto. You are first going to have to make an account on an exchange 
like Coinbase, like uh, Binance, and there's a bunch of others. I use Coinbase personally. I like it. Crypto.com is another one. So you're going to make it accounts. You're going to go through all the KYC and AML process. So know your customer and the model ordering. So they know who you are. You're going to send them money, like fiat currency. So you're going to send them dollars, pounds, or euros. And then you're going to use that money to buy. Let's say you sent through $10,000 and you can buy two ETH with that. So you have two Ether on your Coinbase account. Let's say Coinbase. At that point, you're going to need a wallet because if you want to interact with the DeFi protocols, you're going to have to do so from a wallet and not from your Coinbase account. So then you're going to have to make a wallet. Either you can use what I would recommend is a hardware wallet. So you have like a ledger or a... Uh, is it... Uh, there's also no... I don't know what the, the, the other one is. Ledger is the, is one I use personally, so I, I, I like it. It's not the best, but it's it works. It's safe. And otherwise, you can also use a MetaMask, which is a Chrome extension, which is what I use for my low-value transactions. So all of my expensive NFTs, I put them on my hardware wallets and all my lower value stuff I keep on my MetaMask because MetaMask is very easy to interact with crypto like protocols and apps and DeFi apps. So basically, let's say you have your MetaMask, you go to Coinbase, you ask Meta, uh, Coinbase to send those two ETH to your MetaMask address. And when you have your two ETH on MetaMask, your DeFi adventure can start. At that point, you can go to different DeFi apps and you can start you know, buying and selling other tokens Ethereum-based tokens, you can start staking, you can start liquidity providing, and all that jazz, and that is DeFi for you. You're set, you're starting, and I actually think that if you're young, this stuff is probably worth the investment. Like, mess around with this stuff, learn how it works, get comfortable, you know, liquidity providing, because this stuff is going to change the world in 10 years. That's at least what I believe. Mm. And maybe we can go into a little bit more, like two ways, for example, how I earn money today by doing this, like during this podcast, I've made money by both liquidity oh. providing and by staking. <laughs> that sounds so scammy. <laughs> I'm like, I always want to say like, fuck you, Nico. <laughs> You're not selling anything on this podcast. But no, we are. No, no, no I mean, this is, this is, but yeah, it's, it's exactly. So it's, it's just a, a concept. So yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. first you have staking. Staking is a way, a mechanism of securing a blockchain. So a lot of blockchains are called proof-of-stake blockchains. It's a consistent mechanism. We've probably discussed it when we talked about Bitcoin. And a proof-of-stake, basically, you stake a certain amount of value of the native token. So in this case, you would stake your two ETH. And you wouldn't be able to do anything else with those two ETH. But those two ETH are used to secure the blockchain. And we're not going to go in depth into how that like securing works. But for that, you receive a return. And that return currently, I think, is is 7 or 8% per year, mm. which you get. So for your two ETH, at the end of every year, you would have two points, let's say 14 ETH in this case, if it's 7, 7%. Yep. So that's a way to earn money with DeFi. And so that's already a lot better than just normal banking, like uh, interest rates. So that's taking, that's the least interesting in my opinion, but then you have liquidity providing. All right, so this is brings us to a whole other side of DeFi, and another, that other side of DeFi is going to be different tokens. So let's say you have Ethereum as one token, and you have, let's say, Bitcoin as another token. You can actually exchange Ethereum for Bitcoin or Bitcoin for Ethereum, but the mechanism in which that is done is 
pretty novel, pretty new. And this is done through an automated market maker, it's called. And this is done through liquidity pools. And so let's say that you're, you want to provide liquidity. And providing liquidity means that you give some Ethereum, you give some Ether, you give some Bitcoin. Let's say that I'm liquidity providing. So I have my two ETH. I sell one ETH for Bitcoin. I get 0.1 Bitcoin. And I liquidity provides 0.1 Bitcoin and one ETH into a liquidity pool, it's called. Let's say that Sam has some Bitcoin, but he wants some Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, he's going to come to the liquidity pool. He's going to give 0.1 Bitcoin and he's going to receive one ETH for that. And so at that point, my tokens, my Bitcoin and my Ethereum have created liquidity for Sam to trade against. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like I'm not explaining this too too, too Mm, great. Not exactly, because it sounds a bit like you're just selling your things for the other thing or something. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, maybe explain it better. So a pool actually literally means that there's thousands of people together putting their assets in. So there's already a thousand Bitcoin and 10,000 either in the pool. I just add a little bit. And so I create more liquidity. And so the more people do that, the bigger the liquidity, the more people can trade and the less the price will move, the move depending on how much people buy. And so the SAM is going to pay a small transaction fee And me, as a liquidity provider, will actually also receive part of that transaction fee. Hmm. And that is a way for you to actually make also money by being part of this whole DeFi space. And that is, for example, something I do as well. So I stake, but I also provide liquidity. And in percentage terms, I make more money by providing liquidity than I do by staking because you take more risk. Yeah, I was going to say, my next one's like, what are the risks with this? How likely am I going to get my money back? (laughs) I think that's probably one of the most important reflexes to have when discussing this kind of stuff because i mean we're not going to go in depth but there's currently like tokens that you can stake for like eight thousand percent annual return literally eight thousand and there's even for more and so the moment you see these types of numbers you should ask yourself what's the catch like what's the risk here and so as i said so sam just said like what's the risk when i say that i make more money doing one thing than i do with the other there's also more risk involved and so let's say that i'm doing you know bitcoin ethereum liquidity providing let's say that the price of ethereum suddenly goes 100x and the price of bitcoin stays the same at that point i've initially put in 0.1 bitcoin and 1 ethereum what i'm going to get back is i'm going to get back 0. let's say 12 bitcoin and 0.5 ethereum or something so basically if one of the assets that you provide liquidity increases relatively to the other one a lot in value you're actually going to get less of that asset back. And so instead of doing 100x on the one Ethereum that you put in, you're actually only going to do, let's say, 70x, for example. And this term is called impermanent loss. And it's a risk you take. So basically, you have less upside if you liquidity provide. But to be paid back for that risk, you get more fees and accrual of money that way. Yeah, cool. Didn't realize. I thought it was because if you stake, right, and you're getting like 1-5% on your one ETH, you get mm-hmm. back your 1.5 ETH after a year. And if exactly. it's gone up by yeah. 100x, you've also... That's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I kind of assume that like, if you sent 1 ETH to be providing liquidity, you kind of own 1 ETH still. Nope. Wow. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> Let's hear about that. Yeah. And so, for example, I'm liquidity providing for ETH and another token... And I like both tokens. And so there's a very high chance where the non-ETH token Mm. accrues value quite a lot. And I know that I'm going to miss out a bit there, but I'm happy to hold both. So I'm happily doing it. And 
yeah, so it's it's a risk I, I'm willing to take, but the returns are worth it in my opinion. Cool. So um, these are two examples of how to DeFi, and there's way more. This is a very, very deep space, but I hope that these explanations give you an idea about what's happening, the potential. And there's only one more thing that I'd like to discuss on this podcast, unless, Sam, you have a... Something else you want to talk about? No, that, that was basically it, really. Okay, so the concept I'd like to discuss is called the DeFi matrix. And this term, it's a concept that I had in my head for a while. I didn't use the term. The term I got from Balaji. Balaji is, I think it's like at B-A-L-A-J-I on Twitter. He's basically a guy I've recently learned about, and he's almost as wise as, as Naval, and I really love him. And he did some podcasts with Tim Ferriss, which are fantastic. They're very, very long. This guy is... There's one of him on the Solana podcast that I'm ah, excited to go and listen to. I was going to tag you in it on Reason. And, um, yeah, do it. Do yeah. It. Listener, go to Reason as well. Listen, let us know what you thought of that. Anyway, Balaji, very smart guy. Anyway, he talked about the DeFi matrix. And so the DeFi matrix is actually... And we talked about this in our first episode in the series where we talked about, okay, what is investing? Investing is how you allocate all the value that you've accrued through your work. Hmm. and how you basically divide all the assets that you have over a portfolio of assets that you hope will gain or at least retain their value moving forward, their purchasing power. And so the DeFi matrix is actually a world wherein you literally have a, let's say you have an account or a wallet and all of your assets are divided in a certain way. Let's say that of all of your liquid assets, you have 10% in Bitcoin, 10% in Ethereum, 10% in Apple stock, 10% in Facebook stock, and then the, the remaining 50%, you have a bit of euros, some dollars, some pounds, because you want to be safe. You have maybe some physical gold and then some, some other like smaller, maybe a global stock index, just to say something. And so basically you're going to have like a full asset. And every time you make a payment, there's going to be a fraction of your Apple stock, your Bitcoin, your Ethereum. Let's say you make a 10 euro payment, just a fraction of all of your assets are going to get sold at the same time. Or you're going to have the choice. Like You can go to the shop and you can buy, you can either say, okay, I want to sell and a little bit of all of my assets, or I want to, for example, use my Apple stock to buy this. And at that point, there's going to be frictionless conversions between different assets. So you can exchange Apple stock for Ethereum. You can exchange physical gold for a global stock market ETF. You can exchange Bitcoin for Facebook stock. And all of that is going to be frictionless. It's going to be instant and it's going to be almost costless. So it's going to cost fractions of cents. And so at that point, that's going to mean that like, for people, I think this is going to be what changes their, I think, mindset around investing, mm. where holding fiat yeah. is going to be a choice right so and i think that if you're young you're probably best off like deploying a significant part of your assets into stock market and maybe some crypto as well and then only like let's say 30 percent maybe in fiat and then as you earn more money the percentage of fiat actually shrinks because you only use it as a kind of buffer from where things go really bad and so basically DeFi technology decentralized finance i think everything is going to be tokenized and Every time you do a transaction, there's going to be like micro transactions between different assets and it's all going to be super fast, like instant, frictionless, almost costless. And it's going to change the way we think about investing and our net worth in general because everything is going to be interlinked. And um, yeah, does that make sense? It does make sense. Cool. i <laughs> feeling very Bitcoin maximalist. Just going <laughs> to throw all my money into crypto. I would say crypto maximalist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, there is a world, and I don't believe in that world, but there is a world where 
DeFi or crypto doesn't end up doing or being anything. Yeah. But I think what we discussed today makes so much sense in the world that we live in, especially with the fact that more and more of our lives are happening online in virtual environments. Mm. You know, Facebook, and I people think. People want is a- more ownership of what it is that they're doing and autonomy and stuff. And the rise of investing as a thing for people to do with their money as in it's Mm -hmm. over the last two years so many more people have started investing and it's not just for the people that have like the 100k to invest in like a a vc i think Mm -hmm. anyone that has some money should be able to have exposure to that sort of asset class and it's just going to get easier and easier and like already things like angel list and stuff are kind of getting in that direction but it's going to only get more so 100% 100% and things that yeah. make that like a frictionless place where anyone can own different things of what they want is yeah I think inevitable because in the same way that like whatever the rich people do kind of filters down as in 80 years ago if you wanted to take a plane flight somewhere you could if you were rich but not everyone could do it and now I can literally fly to Lanzarote for nine pounds and that's ridiculous but mm-hmm. um in the same way like it's going to be available to everyone and yeah yeah so <laughs> something that allows that to happen is going to work out and this is a very sensible it makes a way for it to get to that mm-hmm. yeah i'll give my own remark like i'm at the forefront of this stuff i see a lot of it this happening from close and i've worked in a very big bank here in belgium bnp paribas so it's one of the biggest banks in the world mm. and i've also worked worked in the the crypto space and the base of innovation and innovation in the end is everything, right? Innovation, more efficiency, technological advancement. It's what drives extra value creation. Yeah. And the amount that's happening in the crypto and DeFi space and the slowness of traditional financial players, mm. it's incredible. It's insane. So I think it's going to be a matter of time before DeFi takes over the world. And yeah, I think like just getting started with this stuff, learning how this works and maybe getting your toes wet is going to be very, very yeah. valuable. And if you're crazy enough, maybe try to put a bit of money in it, try some liquidity providing, do some research, uh, look into stuff. If you believe in it, feel free to invest a little bit of money in something you can afford to lose. And um, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be it's going to be good. Cool. Was that too much financial advice? <laughs> I'm concerned now. Yeah. Like, well, should no, I accept that? I think it's, makes sense as in i guess we are pretty both pretty bullish and certainly on the flip side of what you just said is it like because you are so exposed to it it's hard to also see the other side of like the people like the 95 percent of people that actually have nothing to do with crypto currently and don't really Mm. give monkeys about it but from where we're at it does feel like the next radical shift in things in the same way that like when electricity came along like if you're a candlestick maker like the people that we're used to light you're like well i've always had a business making candles like they didn't really do that much about it but like it definitely changed the way everything happened and sure mm. it took like 20 years for like everywhere to get electricity or maybe longer than that for like literally like electricity lines to get everywhere and stuff but it was sort of like an inevitable thing once it's there it was just it was better and yeah then the same with the internet and stuff again it's sort of people got really excited and some people did stuff and lots of people didn't and then like the winners were the ones that worked out what to do and there was plenty of people that sort of tried stuff but failed initially but it's worth just like learning to speak crypto yes. and deal with it in the same way that it's worth learning to speak computer because you kind of need to use a computer these days to get along and stuff if you're listening to this and 
you think that we are full BS, we don't know how the world works, and this is all going to shit, please let us know. I actually would love to have like a open-minded debate on about this. So um, yeah. if you disagree, Plus, we'll be happy to come to on and be know. like, well, I'm not so sure about this, this, and this. <laughs> By yeah. the way. No, actually, like, but if class is a listener, then we can have him on. Yeah, yeah sure. Be happy to, to debate this. All right. I would say uh, normally this is where we do ratings, but not much ratings for this. I'm going to give DeFi as a space right now. I'll probably give it, like, as it is today, like a seven. Still a lot of scams, a lot of potential. Mm, yeah. Pretty dangerous. The same way that we review a book have been like, a, well, it's problems. Like, as a UX, it's terrible. Um, oh, horrible! Like horrible. you can just yeah. lose all your money if you lose track of your wallet, or you don't have your like yeah. secret passcode phrase to get into. You've got to download the freaking MetaMask extra app to then send some money to this other thing to do this other thing, and like, yeah, it's not, it's not like integrated into things. Um, I've got a friend that's building like a wallet for Safari that's like completely integrated. It's super nice, but then you have to use Safari, and I'm like, okay, the uh, guess the new Safari is kind of better, but like also everyone uses Chrome, and yeah. Basically, the UX is pretty terrible and like in the mm. same way that expecting old people back in the day to kind of use a mobile phone and sort of do all these things with different apps and stuff is kind of hard for them. Like the amount of people that have weird difficulties using some of the basic stuff that we have on our website with reason and stuff and like simple tasks that they completely fail with and they can call into the pool and be like, what's going on with my podcast? Compared to what the hell happens with crypto, like so many steps. Mm-hmm that we kind of yeah. glossed over a little bit being like get it to your metamask and then you can like you're free to go, go <laughs> explore the world of DeFi. also whichever thing you then go into explore is going to have many more steps in it <laughs> which we should have yeah. maybe mentioned so yeah usability is terrible and that's yeah. gonna have to get better 100%. but otherwise the, the potential of it is cool and so yeah, yeah i think i agree that like seven actually makes a lot of sense even though it's going to be huge but yes could be better <laughs> there <laughs> yeah. we go. cool all right. With that, um, next episode is going to be completely different. We're talking about investing in art. Sam and I are suffering through an audiobook called <laughs> The Art of the Deal. And it's not the one written by Donald Trump. It's by another dude. Do you know his name? No. no? Okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah. his, his name is not important. It's... Um, which I can tell you, it's by Noah Horowitz. So um, yeah, it's about investing in art because that stuff is also important. It's also an asset class and I'm actually going to make a bold prediction about investing in art at the end of that episode. So uh, stay tuned. And with that, we are out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to give us a rating and share with your friends. If you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment, feel free to join us on Reason. Reason is Sam's startup that is building a social podcasting app. It is a place where Sam and I listen to podcasts and share ideas and insights. It'd be great if you would hang out with us there. Thanks again and speak to you in the next episode. Cheers.